Hello, Gary. Hello, Guy. And here we go again. Yes, another part two. This is Andrew Lou Goldham's part two, because Andrew can talk forever in great detail. With Andrew, it's not so much a part one and part two. It's just like there's this stream of amazing stuff and you just get on board at some point and then eventually you have to get off. And then, as in this case, we've got on board somewhere else and I expect we'll have to get off somewhere else. But you, you know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's, just, yeah. it's just a train, isn't it? So we finished our last one with him back in December, our first part, and it ended with the Stones having written Satisfaction and, uh, you know, massive stars. And I suppose we'll pick it up around around there with... Um... Yeah, I guess our checklist is going to be Alan Klein, Immediate Records... And whatever else. Small Faces, Humble Pie. You're going to want to go you know. deep into Humble Pie, aren't you? Yeah, Marianne Faithful. Marianne Faithful, of course. Donovan, you know. Even. And, and I am suggesting that Andrew Lou Goldham is also responsible for the rise of prog rock. Welcome to the Rock on Tours. Okay, guys, I'm ready. Well, it's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. I've listened to a few of them and they've been really good, man. I'm sitting in the back of the car coming into London. They're brilliant. That caused a big problem in the band, actually. I was having too much fun. Thank you guys for still being around, still making music, still being into it, and doing this podcast. It, it's uh, it's fabulous. Well, I get the feeling that us three should go for a pint. That's what I think. I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Oh, yeah. To, to get good at yeah. something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours. The Rock Hunters podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. Keep on rocking! Andrew. There ah, there he is. Great. Good. Okay. <laughs> How are you guys? Good? We're very, very well. We're very happy to have you back, Andrew. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much for agreeing to this. Pleasure. Pleasure. We're just about to go on tour. We've been rehearsing with yeah. Nick. And with? Nick, Ma- Nick, Nick Mason. Mason. Again. Wow, man. He's, I mean, he's touring more than he ever did, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's not a particularly high bar. <laughs> that's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, until you guys were with him in Vancouver last year, I thought he stayed at home or on the racetrack, you know. Yeah, that's, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Tell Go Andrew on. where you've just been, Guy. Okay, yeah, I was running a little late, Andrew, because I so because I. we're going away, I have yeah. to, trying to be a good, loyal friend, I went up to Denville Hall to visit Marianne, faithful. Oh. Today. Did who's you? Who's up there. And she, yeah, she's fine. She's better every time I see her. It's really nice. But I had this oh, really weird good. thing. When I got there, she was still having lunch and she was in the hall with her friend, right? She's got a friend there, Sarah. And we got talking. It turns out she's an agent. And I uh-huh. said, oh, that's funny because uh, my dad was an actor. And she said, what was his name? I said, Mike Pratt. She said, I was his agent. Oh, that's wild. No. That's I wild. Said, I said, wow, I hope you got him lots of work. She said, well, I got him Randlin Hopkirk. That'll do. Wow. That'll fucking do. You know. Yeah. Wow. So, so how is she? Because she sends me sort of disjointed, you know, emails, almost like five spastic words that tell me she loves me, you know, right? Which is fine, but it doesn't tell me. She's good at emojis. She's very good at emojis. Ah. Oh, finally. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I never knew until she went there. By the way, do they get in on, like, America, like, you know, directors' guilds or all that, or they got to pay? I've got to pay. 
Um, <laughs> oh, well, I won't be coming back to Well, England. I don't know if she... Ca- well, like, yeah, I don't know if maybe if equity might cover, but I don't know if she kept her equity up. It's a good point, actually. You know, yeah, I mean, I in <laughs> somebody keeps me in touch with all the people moving into the, the homes in Hollywood, and it's just fucking incredible. You know, directors who direct, come in at, when they're age 95, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also yeah. down there at Denby Hall, so they got nice grounds and everything. Well, I take there's, there's a nice garden. I take her for a walk around the garden because it's uh, such a famous place, yeah. isn't it? I mean, so many people actors never heard of it there. before, Marianne. But I do know they have a new visitor. There's a new client moved in. He's being discreet. I will say he's moved far from the madding crowd. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I heard that. Yeah. 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 Because Billy Whitelaw, who played my mum in the Craze film, she ended up. At- at yeah. that place too and I think it's the right thing isn't it I mean, we, there will be a place for old rockers won't there one day Andrew I don't know man you know I mean I just remember seeing Don Arden in the um, the place he was in near the Hollywood Bowl and one of the disconcerting things about the, the dementia and that he goes to the coffee machine and he drinks scolding coffee and he doesn't know it's scolding him but he was still wow. Don Arden you know yeah yeah yeah. But maybe he's doing it on purpose because that's a very Don Arden thing to do. It is. He, he used to. He's that hard. You're right. Yeah, for a while, <laughs> he would play with the fact that he had the dementia and play jokes with it. You know, the humour kept going, which right. was good. It was good. It's just a shame they had to take him back to fucking Salford. He wanted to be buried in the Hollywood Hills, dear. You know. Listen, thank you for joining us on this for a okay. second one. I, I think, you know, we sort of got up to the success of the Rolling Stones, really. And so I think inevitably which we, we and we all know the story and 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 how incredible it was I, we could jump to the end although i was thinking about the circus and how the famous film of well that was quite yeah that was six yeah, but i was gone circus. i was gone by then but how are you gone because you're in it aren't you there's a film of you no. in, a, in your fur coat the fur coat is from the christmas ready said he go i got you babe that is it is the most extraordinary kind of Bit of situationist art when you mime the, <laughs> when you all yeah. mime the song. That, I mean, that's an amazingly art piece of yeah. television for mainstream. Thank you. That's TV. what it was. Yeah. When it comes up, I sit and go, you know, wait a minute. You know, I mean, okay, you've got this Hobson's horse or something jumping over. You've got Pink Floyd because you know we're all watching that. What do you call it? Sid thing, right? You know. Right, right. Sid, Jesus. You got them coming in, and the, one of them, the one with no hair, Gilmore, right? Uh, he, he's saying, "Yeah, and we we rehearsed 'Come On' by the Rolling Stones, and we did this, and maybe they did 'For Your Love' by the Yardbirds." Okay, then somehow they start taking buckets full of drugs, right? But the Rolling Stones weren't at the time; they were just incrementally going up the ladder, not just diving in. And then you've got the Stones at the end of '66 sort of leapfrog over Pink Floyd and start joining them in the drug thing, and it's just fucking nuts. But at Christmas '65, that "I Got You, Babe" is wonderful. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but they're in show business. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I only saw it for the first time like last year or something, and I was amazed. It's brilliant you know yeah. this gary right yeah i do yeah 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 and for our listeners who don't it's just basically and apparently what, what it was a regular feature right where they'd have one of their artists who was on they'd basically just mime to a another contemporary record i've never heard of, of that, that. A, i thought it was only the stones oh okay maybe it was but i would 
But I would. <laughs> but you would, yeah. Was it your idea, Andrew? Was it your idea? I, I assume so. You know, because it seems like it seems like one of yours. Yeah, I take it that was a real fur coat. That was a great no. symbol of how no. fun. No, 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 no it wasn't. No, oh. We were ahead of the game then. You know, I couldn't afford a real fur coat, dear. What are we? I just wondered, but well, it felt like a symbol of the success of the Stones at the time. No, it uh, was like it was from Bombatellas, but uh, <laughs> uh, um, but no, the, the other gorgeous scene is Mick in the balcony. Did you catch that? I mean, what he said, and now you know the dialogue is really great. You know. It's good. Yeah. But if to go back and have a watch. Yeah. I suppose Alan Klein coming into the mix has been seen for a lot of people as being a difficult time, you know, for the Stones. How no, did that well, happen? No. And- you know, like, not difficult at all, man. You get what you deserve. You get what you pay for. And, you know, people forget because of the relationship between Paul McCartney and uh, Alan Klein. There were many pluses. It didn't necessarily outdo the unpluses, but that's par for the course. Let me explain. Like, okay, Alan came to London. He was already representing Mickey Most. Oh, uh, okay. Didn't know that. No. You know, and and in August of 64, Mickey, he had three records in the top ten, man. You know, I'm into something good, The Animals, uh, the Nashville teens, right? And all, you know, I mean, that's pretty good going. So Alan mm-hmm. comes over and it's, you know, those days are simple. Mickey, do you want to be a millionaire? <laughs> right? And uh, Mickey does. <laughs> you know, surprise, yeah. surprise. Uh, yeah, really. You know, and then Alan sets his eyes. I mean, I saw the footage of him, of Alan with George Harrison at the Bangladesh thing, where Alan is sitting there. And I'm half Jewish, so I'll go there. Like, you either put suede patches on your sleeves or you start smoking a pipe, right? Well, Alan was going through that stage. And sitting next to George Harrison with all this Bangladesh thing, it's almost like Rosie Greer and Ray Milland. You know, it's just bizarre, you know. And Alan's having a great time. He really is enjoying being in the business and, and all of this stuff. So then the Rolling Stones had recorded It's All Over Now. We wanted a piece of the song, you know. I mean, the game we used to play then was we'd call up the publishers. We didn't care if it happened or not, man. It was just part of the fun. Listen, I've got 20 things here ready for the next album. Yours would get a real good look in if Mick, Keith and Isle of the Stones or whatever could have 15% of the publishing. I mean, you know. But it was their song or not? um, No, 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 no. It was Bob uh, the Womacks. Bobby Womack, ah, Published by Sam Cooke, who was managed by Alan Klein. Got it. Oh, okay. So he meant right there. You go. But it's, no, because uh, Elvis took half the publishing on anything he did, didn't he? But which is a good deal because you're going to make more money from him doing your song than any other way. So. Yeah, and the president of RCA in Italy made more money than everybody because what we small little people didn't know is that in the, those local countries, if you put an English lyric to it. You got ah. sort of Elvis's version, man. This guy had a castle ah. and everything, you know. I mean, <laughs> so, you know, we thought we were clever, you know. Anyway, but you know, it's just, it, that doesn't change. You know, you yeah. you think you've made an eighty-five fifteen deal, and you haven't because the laws of that particular country are setting, you know, castles. Well, Simon Cowell was in on all the publishing yeah. for yeah. everyone else's songs, you know. So. Yeah. So yeah, sorry. So Alan, so you Alan comes, Alan comes in, publishing. and the guys is. You want a piece of this song, da, 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 da. and he wants to talk about a media, but he doesn't really, you know. 
<laughs> would you? Oh, we'll come to that. But um, yeah, yeah, please. and yeah, and he uh, and I meet him, and that, and I just basically go back to Mick and Keith, and I say, hey, go and meet him by yourself, and if you tell me yes, okay, we go forward, and that's how it started. Yeah, but but when you say that's how it started, what then? What happened next? Well, because of the soap opera with uh, my partner at the time, Eric Easton, uh, had had enough of us. And so he was doing a buy-sell deal with money we'd already earned, and he was going to get out, right, and just leave us in the toilet. And I didn't have the facility. I mean, I'll make the story short. I didn't have the facility to deal with Decker, old, excuse me, old British lawyers, and Eric Easton and things. I just needed to get on with it. So Alan was perfect for that. It ended up costing us a lot of money at the end, but it doesn't really matter, man, because. I'll go to the other side, the plus thing. If we hadn't had Alan, we would have been stuck with London Records, this pathetic little um, subsidiary of mm-hmm. uh, Decca. And, and so because of the publicity and the chutzpah and the billboards in um, Times Square, which we didn't know at the time he'd done with Sam Cooke, too, you know, great, old tricks come around. And we had a great promotion man around it called Pete Bennett. And so we kind of had legs. It gave us legs in America, you know. Charlie Watts and I would be in a hotel in Times Square and Pete Bennett would go, I want to bring some people up to see you. And these guys would come in with crocodile shoes and olive green suits. And all they wanted to do was look. They didn't want to talk. <laughs> you know? And um, so it What year worked. is this? Um, this is 65. Right. We'd already done two tours. But, you know, don't make promises you can't keep. You know, everybody thought they were a millionaire. They weren't. Bill Wyman still complains that he could have had 80 acres instead of 40. I'm like, come on, right? He's got the moat. That's the most important part, aren't you, Bill? And, you know, the way the songs disappeared into Abco may have been upsetting for... Um, I mean, uh, we all met Alan... He says, I'm the luckiest guy alive. You just recorded Satisfaction three weeks before. Right. So, you know, what are you going to do? He's not here. We are, you know. The incentive to have him was also to find muscle in America, was it? No, man. I, was, I, I wasn't even thinking about it, man. He found us. But you saw him as a benefit to the business. No, no, baby. I mean, there's no creative input from him. Uh, no, it's more a question of... You see, remember, at that age... You do things on instinct without thinking it through as much as you are. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like it's, yeah. you, know, you go, oh, okay, and then later you realize that, wow, that was good because I would have been toast, man, dealing with Eric Easton and these English barristers right. and all this crap, right? So it 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 kind of all works out. You don't think about it. You go, he wants us, Mick and Keith. Do you want him? Yes, we go forward. Okay. So in what capacity, what is he going to be? I mean, he's taking some publishing. He's doing, I mean, what is he to the band? To you? Legal strength. Yeah. What's the title of the relationship? No, there's no title, dear. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's just part of moving the train forward. You know. <laughs> yeah. How was Brian, you know, because there's been a documentary recently, Nick Broomfield, which oh, was dear, on BBC. Yeah, right. I haven't seen it. A- I couldn't. About... Brian. There's another one by a guy with an Italian name, I believe, or Spanish name, about two years ago, where they... I'm not making jokes about Bill Wyman saying he, you know, it's his Spike Lee 40 acres or whatever it is. But by the same... (laughs) 40 acres and a mule. Thank you. But by the same token, I haven't seen this Nick Bloomfield thing, but, you know, he 
It was his whole thing. It was like if I made a, a video about Nick Mason because I went to school with him for five minutes. You know, I mean, like, but you know, the comeuppance is that Brian, look at it this way, he probably couldn't pay the builders. Right. They got fed up with him. They're only on, you know, so much money now. The big million dollar things have been changed because Alan knew already before he, you know, you're going to be a millionaire like Mickey, is that he couldn't pay the money in a lump sum because of the taxes. But he knew that and we didn't. So suddenly when he turns around and says it's over 20 years, so the Rolling Stones are then basically on a per diem. <laughs> right. Because, mm. it's because yeah, because it's just after Brian that they have to leg it to the south of France. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, because that's a, that's a cruel thing. You know, yeah, you don't realise it's cruel at the time, but, you know, there is a sort of, slight skirmish to being a tax exile you can't come back for four years you know i never came back but um you know what now i hope you get this what i'm saying is that by now they were on monthly amounts and still living beyond their means right but how this relates to gary's question i'm thinking what because i can't remember what your question was exactly. well i think gary. i was one you know I was, I was actually wondering how brian's role in the band was at this point and right, right. in his health and how that was was there a deterioration in his relationship with Mick and Keith and with his drug intake, etc.? Well, he was like the cat who, instead of having nine lives, he came back for 10. And then somebody realized there was a mistake. And at the age of the Saturn return at 27, <laughs> he got pulled yeah. back. But he'd done some wonderful brilliant things but i mean the nails were going into his coffin way before man stealing a chicken sandwich from keith you know i mean what yeah you got it christmas there was not too much chicken and he stole it right or things like in the beginning with eric easton because brian did when i met them he represented the band yeah, the others yeah. would stay got downstairs paid more, right you know well yeah well that's it man because he went to eric easton secretly mm -hmm. said give me five pounds extra a week for being the whatever right and you know that doesn't bode well when you're in a band and so he paid for that later so there were a few things going on it wasn't just his deterioration it was his behavior because there is this thing i mean this something that comes out from the documentary which just seems like an extraordinary is, it nice? is the documentary good I think so. Great archive. Great yeah, archive. Great archive. Yeah, all that's fantastic. Never, I've seen, I haven't seen hardly any of the archive yeah, in it. It was so good. Stuff. Have any of you seen the Anita documentary? No, no. No. I'd like to. Yeah, mm. I, I didn't know about that one. I was in it, but they, ah. but they cut me out. <laughs> well, you should have been in, in the Brian one, shouldn't you? To the, where you are. Oh, I can't do that, man. You yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you know, they say, come and do Alma Cogan, I'd do it, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Guy, you were... Well, I was just saying, it's just this thing, and it just really seems like very Mephistophelian of just, he would find some nice middle-class girl and he would oh. charm their parents and move yeah. in with them and then yeah. knock her up and there'd be a kid. And then he'd go and do it again. And then go and do it again. And then go and do it again. Which is going against so many societal norms of the yeah, sort of right. families he was hustling yeah. into. He had, he had a big you know. rejection from his father, which came yeah. across in the film as well. Oh, well, that explains it all. You know, like, I mean, this, I'm lucky I didn't have a father, so I don't know that problem. But he, he there's a film in, um, I think it's Swedish, right? Might be called something as a name as Rolling with the Stones, okay? And it's about, you know, during the time in the 60s when every country except France had their Rolling Stones. And when the Rolling Stones or the Beatles would come in, they would appear on the bill. 
And 40 years later, this band is getting together to do a reunion and the lead singer is in hospital dying of cancer and all this guy. It's wonderful, right? You know, I mean, 40 years later, this fucking, excuse me, the Swedish band. But the original film, Rolling with the Stones or something like that, has got the Rolling Stones in it because there's like seven minutes of, what is that called? Super 8 of the Stones Mm -mm. in Sweden. The rest is, is this support band. And also a girl who looks like she was a stewardess on the Oslo to Trondheim circuit, you know, not Paris, right? Nice girl, <laughs> you know, right? And she's talking in the language of the day, being interviewed, and she's going, and the language is great, man, because it's put before swearing, you know, and things like that, or before being actual about sex or anything like that. And she's going, well, she said, I was with Brian, and it's got all the things you're talking about, man. His phone numbers and come to London. You know, well, and with the telephones we had then, dear, you know, you can't imagine. And, I, and she goes, and I was with him and uh, he turned around and said, you'd rather be with Mick, wouldn't you? I mean, uh, it was nuts, man, you know. Ah, uh, the insecurity. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you, you left before Brian died, didn't you? Before Brian oh, was yeah. pushed out. Yeah. What was the reason for you? quitting the band well andrew basically you know there's a pillar of reasons you know when you're a youth and that you're going i mean okay i can look at it two different ways one they probably wanted to get rid of me okay you just got to be 24 hours ahead and finding them and 24 hours ahead leaving before whatever <laughs> right you know and um basically i know what it is now at the time it was melted in wait a minute they haven't written any songs. What am I doing here? You know, I mean, three weeks and no songs. Because this is November 66, 67. The bottom line is they have come back. They've been working for four years. They are very tired. And now the recording sessions change from the privacy of RCA and, and earlier chess to a whole load of velvet jackets from the King's Road coming in to the studio. And suddenly, as you probably know, Olympic, the big hang, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know that, okay, if you've got your act recording, great. But once you've got friends or a thing, you got an audience, man, and the behavior changes, okay, to start yeah. with. There yeah. were no songs, and I don't blame them for that. They were, well, I do. No. <laughs> what were album songs. were they working towards? Satanic Messages. Right, right, so right. I lasted three weeks on that. I just went, you know, let Julian Johns be a pimp and stay, you know, like, uh, sorry, Glenn. But, I mean, he was on the clock, you know. And um, Mick later, you know, poor boy, said, yeah, man, we were taking too much acid, you know. We want, um, um, we wanted to get rid of Andrew, so we were playing terrible music. What a way to go about it, right? But after three weeks, I left and said that, you know, we'd have a conversation and Alan was sorted out. But the, there's that... There's the elements. Keith Richards put it beautifully in, in his book when he said, you know, it was great while we all listened to the same music, right? right. And that's that's an element. That changed it. Then you've got the sort of um, Bill Nye rock movies uh, thing. The girls come in and, you know, I mean, you know, I mentioned the Anita thing because she almost, in many ways, the ladies took over the management, not the money. You are right what you say, and I think all bands experience this. So if you've got a is that there's a hierarchy within any band that is accepted within that group of people. It's a creative hierarchy and people are willing to go along with it. But what happens when when viewers come in 
and and mm. stare down at them. There are guys in there thinking, well, I, I want my friend, my partner, to see that I'm higher up the hierarchy. Exactly. Mm, yeah, yeah. But but I see that is still. I didn't think like that. I mean, I was still in the wonder. To me, the Rolling Stones were a movie. You know, I mean, I always looked at it as like we're on camera all the time in the street mm, 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 you know when terry o'neill comes along and takes your picture and does that but the other bottom line of it is i really and I, I didn't have it in words at the time but i know now what it is my instinct i was more than happy working with them but i would never have been happy working for them right but mm -hmm. isn't there also there's a thing where and i think that for people like you for like the great creative managers you know like yourself kit i would actually count steve dagger amongst this Who? lot steve dagger gary's manager the spandau guy what i'm saying is your thing is you come you're this kind you've got the ideas it's like this is what's going to get us here we can do this we can do this this and then the band gets to a certain level of success and then it's just about managing that level of success. It's not about the crazy ideas anymore. It's not about what can we do. No, no I agree. Uh, and so, but you're not what's thinking. Hold you're not your thinking interest? like you're, that, man. Yeah. The, the, you know, the, you're. You know, it maybe it's already become a business, so there's too many words in it. You know, but that's what I mean. That's a different thing. You didn't go into it to a run of to like run a you know Harrods. Yeah, no, but man. but look, you've got the Beatles at the same time who are doing creative leaps. Yeah. that are putting everyone on edge. And how? You know, you know when, when Sergeant Pepper's coming along, what do the Rolling Stones camp think, you know? I don't know. Look what they yeah. Satanic Majesties. Oh, Satanic Majesties. Satanic Majesties was the yeah. answer, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I didn't think about it at the time, because if you have faith in people, you say, okay, so this is what we're doing. But actually, I think one of the moments that I knew was I called for Brian Jones once, <laughs> and somebody answered the phone and said to me, Who's calling? Oh, we all know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, no. But that album, I mean, they, you know, going back to the Pink Floyd reference, the drug intake had gone up and changed. It was obviously going to affect the music. I mean, I couldn't have stood. I mean, I once was visiting the Small Faces in Studio B in Olympic, and I decided the only way to get to the toilet was to go across Studio A because I knew Mick and Keith were singing in there, right? So I walked in and walked across and you go downstairs, right? And, okay, it's work, it's craft, it's whatever you call it, man. But sitting there 18 hours with the track, trying to write to the track. <laughs> right, right. You know, so we've gone through that bing-bong thing, Mick and Keith, you know, writing in the bed sitter. Then we got the movie to 10 Holly Hill. There's girlfriends. Okay, so it gets slower. You know, and then we come to the wonderful thing where your co-writing partner is just a blessing if he tells you when to stop. <laughs> you know. Mm -mm. Yeah. Actually, there's a funny little small faces. Uh, when you talk about small faces, there's a little story I want to ask you about. Okay. If you don't, this is a complete left turn. Uh -huh. When the small faces were signed to Immediate, which is a thing actually yeah. we do want to get onto, okay. you had some unique car. I don't know if it was like an estate Aston Martin or something. There was like only one of them. I doubt it because my Rolls Royce, I asked, please copy John Lennon's. Oh, okay. Because there's a story in Ian McLagan's book where he was out one night, and but he, apparently you had this car, and there was only one of them in London. It was okay. a one of, and he was out with Keith Moon, and they're in Soho Square, and they're both absolutely twatted, and they're not very happy with you for some no, reason at the no, time. No, no. And they see your car parked there, like fuck, let's do it. 
Let's do it. And apparently they just went to town on this car, keyed it, like kind of just did whatever. Next day, come into town and see you in your car. And it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out there was another one. Yeah. <laughs> and they've just done some guy's car. <laughs> well, I like, I like Keith Moon because he did a good Oliver Reed and he was always polite to me. Oh, yeah. But uh, Ian McLagan, by now people were making up stories too. You know, I mean, I don't know what car he's talking about, but I do remember at the end, towards the end of his life, we were in Austin and we, we didn't get on, you know. To start with, you got the, the different dynamic that when we got a media, the thing that Tony Calder and I didn't realize is that we were now going to become the enemy because right. we didn't think about it, man. This is going in tandem with the Stones, though, right? Isn't it? Yeah. Is, yeah. You're still with the Stones. Yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, how did that play with them? Well, it didn't work out. I had this kind of Holland Dozier and Holland thing. With me, Mick and Keith, which didn't fly. It flew with Chris Farlow, just with Chris Farlow. It was an also ran with the dear P.P. Arnold. So Mick and Keith basically were starting to look in another direction that would move them away from my sort of pop mentality. You know, I mean, they saw what was coming. I didn't. <laughs> you mean with bands like Cream and... Yeah, uh, the yeah I suppose go, so. yeah. You know. Yeah. Life changes, man. You, you know. But they did, he did do a wonderful job with Chris Farlow. So that thing didn't work out. So I then wanted uh, Steve Marriott and Ronnie Lane to become my Holland and Dozier. And they did. They did a very good job with P.B. Arnold, with themselves. Well, we, we had Jerry Shirley on a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah and of course, they, they wrote the song for... Um, I'm trying to remember the name of that oh, band. Uh, the, the, the Apostolic... Ap apostolic Intervention. Apostolic Intervention. The Apostolic yeah. Intervention. That is the most you band name I've ever yeah, well, heard uh, in my yeah. life. <laughs> they wanted to be called The Nice. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it was taken. You know... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But basically, that's what I'm saying. Steve wrote that song and Ian wrote that song, didn't they, for their first their first single? Yeah, I see. But, no, but the thing with the problem with me having a relationship, or Tony Calder as well, with um, the rest of the band was Steve Marriott was just obsessive. You love Stevie and nobody else. So you're going in with oh. that dynamic to start with, which is not very healthy. And also, as I said, we didn't realize we thought we were whatever. No, we were the enemy now, man. We were the guys who were screwing them. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. But let's go back to the beginning of, of, of you wanting to do yeah. Immedia and who and who that was with and who you first signed and how you came across the small faces. You know? um, 25 grand in the plastic bag to Don Arden, okay? Right. To enable the deck of contract to be broken or looked the other way, you know. Because you were, you were in with Don, weren't you? You were, weren't you? you were I loved good, Don. You were, you were good I, with him, yeah. They, I thought that he was incredible. He, he was, uh, they were all family for a long, long time. I remember him once um, telling me, I don't know where it went wrong, Andrew. He says, I think perhaps it was when I had a policeman up to Hay Hill to pay him off. 
and the family were down to dinner and I paid him off with those big fivers. And when he left, I think the mistake I made is I shut the door, I said, fuck him. You know, so the example he was setting in front of Sharon and David at such an early age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. But his attitude towards his artists was very kind of adversarial, wasn't it? It was like they were there to be milked, wasn't it? I mean, it seemed. Come, you know, you know, I, mean, was... I sat with him in Connecticut once, and I wasn't doing cocaine, and neither was he. We were latecomers. And he sat there and he said, I don't know, Andrew, like, you know, the Electric Light Orchestra, man, you know, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff where he just goes up their nose with this funny white stuff. Because Don was very straight in many ways, you mm-hmm. know, right? And it's the same way, you know, I mean, I know the agent for Fleetwood Mac who said, I went flew to Chicago to tell them they just earned a quarter of a million dollars and they just wanted to know where the blow was. <laughs> and so if an act is behaving like that, maybe they're asking for it. Well, yeah, that's true. But that I think that's you're quite a long way down the line once you yes, get I am. that, aren't you? Oh, yeah. you're like, oh, now. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, no, okay, Media was formed because fun, man. You know, I mean, like, you know, our idols who had labels and things like that, the speed of our life was moving along, you know, with the Stones and Marion Faithful. And it was getting boring talking to these people at Decca who still, God bless them, you never saw records, nine to five, went home. They could have been dealing in baked beans and things like that. And we were starting to get high, high. And so it made conversation with nine to five as technically dreary. And Tony and I, we, we come up Park Lane to Marble Arch, of course, where else? And we go, and by now we said, let's form a record company. Okay. And Tony says, there's a phone box. Let me go and call Phillips. They're right over there. And they were on Stanhope Place. And he goes in and he calls Leslie Gould. And he did a deal in the phone booth. But the energy was, we could see Stan, the Phillips building, you know, probably Val Dunican was, not his pie. Um, and so, I mean, it was formed. Now, we had to have records. In America, we knew very well Burt Burns. He on uh, Bang had um, Hang On Sloopy. He gave it to us for England for $500. Very wow. clever, because then he got, you know, we should have got Europe, but we didn't. We just wanted in, mm-hmm. you know. And then Jimmy Page cut um, uh, some band. Oh, no. How, what wasn't the Christians or something? What was it? No, was, no. No, that was, no, no. They they mixed it. Joey Mullen, some of, uh, what do you call it? Bad Finger were in it or whatever. She Belongs oh. to Me, maybe, you know, something like that. Yeah, oh, right. I think I'm, oh, and Jimmy Page was our A and R man, and of course this was your Mickey Mouse connection because Jimmy had done, was doing a lot of work for Mickey. Is that right? No, John Paul Jones was working for Mickey. I don't know if Jimmy during the arrangements, some lovely arrangements. There's yeah. a kind of hush yeah. and stuff like that, you know, uh, and then the Donovan stuff that John did. So that was very good. That moved Mickey forward. But, but no, for me, the, the Marion Faithful session. I remember the fixer Charlie Cat saying to me when we're getting the guitarist. And the, he said, "Well, you can have Big Jim." He said, "I got this new young lad, Jimmy Page. He doesn't read, but uh, Jim Sullivan will look after him, so it'll be all right." And that was it. It was honest tears go by. <laughs> like wow, nice. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> but I go, you know, I mean, Tony knew him before that, you know. Anyway, and then the last record was um, Nico. I'm not saying. And the other side I did with Jimmy Page. When you said did with Jimmy Page, what he was like producing. With yeah. You. Well, we wrote and produced the B-side of um, Nico. I ruined the A-side, this Gordon Lightfoot song, just did it too fast. And she didn't mind. Like, 
but she was great, man, because when we started, we were with Phillips. We would go around to the factories in the north, you know, the Phillips factories and here and there. Ripped out of our minds. It was just beautiful, you know. Like, um, and, you know. Fear and loathing. Yeah, but style. can you imagine coming into a factory and Nico walks in? This is before Lou Reed and heroin and all this stuff. She looked like a supermodel, oh, God, yeah, man. Yeah. God, you know divine and she was funny and they loved her she mm. was a, a great person you know and so she really helped help with the promotion and of course we bought uh hang on sloopy up to number one so you know and what about discovering the the small faces well who was who? how did that the small faces how did that what about them well how do how we get them yeah from don arden did you go and see them play live were you go did no you... no i don't want to see them play live for no. <laughs> I mean, you know. I mean, they were very, there was under... They'd had hits, right? They'd already had hits. Oh, yeah, they had point. four hits yeah, on Decker, yeah. but they were as unreliable as Stevie Wonder. I've never heard Stevie Wonder used as a barometer for unreliableness before. It well, now you interesting. have. Yeah. I ha <laughs> he really disappointed me somewhere north of London. So what the fuck am I doing here? Wow. Did Jimmy play on any of the uh, the Small Faces no. tracks, was it? No. no. Did that take off in the way you had expected it to with yeah. Steve? Yeah. I mean, they were great. When we bought them mistake was actually you know like you know all junky habits you know thinking you could repeat the habit then we went and paid the same money for the fucking amen corner you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know thank you very much dear but okay they had four hits you know stuff with Kenny lynch and mort schumann ian samwell oh yeah sha -la -la. yeah it was great you know some great stuff and uh they were on you know gonorrhea wages you know <laughs> like yeah. So, I mean, they weren't completely clipped. You know, they had Muse houses. Don had them on salaries. You know, I mean, 40 quid a week is not bad, right? Um, and how much can you actually make out of a single in those days? Three and a half grand? Mm -mm. So you've got to put it in perspective as to what, how screwed they were. They were screwing themselves too. But it's interesting. This is, when you say how much can you make on a single, because what's interesting is that it then becomes that singles are the shop window to sell the album, right? When albums yeah. overtook. But it wasn't back then, was it? No, no. You know, it was a singles trade, man, you know. Yeah. And and sheet music still ruled. Yeah. Wow. That's, you know? that's what publishing was about. It came that's from right. selling sheet yeah. music, yeah. right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of, obviously, a lot of misinformation. But when they came to us, it was just glorious, man, because basically what they said they wanted was all the hashish in the world, Glyn Johns and six weeks in a house to rehearse for going in the studio. And Stevie Turner said, and I'll give you national anthems. And he did. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, yeah. you can't fight that. The records were incredible, man. You know, they were, they were on the top of their game. They were really good. Glyn was incredible. Um, and even there's a naughty bit in one of the records where we threw in a line of satisfaction. Uh, 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 and what you see, the lazy Sunday or Richie Cooper, I think it's lazy Sunday. That I mean, they were on it, man. They really, they were great records. And then, you know, they had their own satanic mattresses. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Robert Plant was a big fan, and I can't name the song now. But does anyone else remember? There's some lyrics on a Led Zeppelin verse that are exactly off really? of the small faces well, there's the whole lot of love type thing is it the whole lot of love isn't yeah, it yeah yeah well i think basically they both stolen the same song yeah, yeah. it came originally yeah. well i think it, it stevie had stolen it from an old blues artist that had made no money in his yeah. life and then and then robert came who was a massive fan of the small faces and followed really? them everywhere and huh. taken it from him 
the later, unfortunately, no, no, not that late, it becomes as painful as watching and one of the band with Janis Joplin um, in that film Freedom or whatever is crossing Canada on the train where Janis Joplin is only two months away from dying. You know, they, they have got so stoned that they're stretching their gifts to where white people should not tread because they're going to they're going to overload. And, you know, with Steve, it became painful. I mean, he's very similar mm -hmm. in many ways to Tubby Hayes, another Aquarian who just, you know, blew it out way too soon. I mean, just brilliant. But, mm -hmm. you, know. you stuck with him, didn't you? Because as, as the small faces started to deteriorate, and I, I'm not sure what that story is, and, uh, you know, obviously splitting into two supergroups. Yeah. You ended up nurturing him, him. into him. another one. Yeah. Humble Pie. I mean, and Humble Pie worked wonderfully, but I didn't by then... You know, I was spending too much of my own money. And uh, we were kind of like, didn't have the clout that now companies like Chrysalis and A&M, because they were, they were in business. I'm not sure that we were in business yet, you know. But the first two albums were great. But as the media started to go under, I warned them to get out, and they got out, and, that, and they went to A&M and D'Antoni, and they had a wonderful history there till it all went wrong. Or well, until it wasn't wonderful. I mean, the, you know, the film, they were great, an incredible band, you know. But it's interesting what you say. You said earlier about, oh, you know, I wasn't looking in the right direction and the Rolling Stones wanted to go in a different path and I was thinking more of hit singles. But you pretty soon caught up with Humble Pie. Yeah, but I by then didn't have the weight to support it and move it, you know, to where... I probably didn't want to settle down and become a record company for a living like that because I, I kind of subliminally already knew that we were the enemy. This is a fucking regular job, man. No, thank you. But that's the same as with the management thing, isn't it? That's the yeah. thing. Once you, you know, you got to that place and it's now, and where's the wacky fun that we, we can have it, right? Well, yeah, that, it's not even just wacky fan. Where's the movement forward? You know, I mean, yeah. the Rolling Stones, God bless them, been playing the same 50 songs for 50 years, you know. Okay? <laughs> okay, which is the way, you know, it's a business, you know. So if you're doing that and it's, you know, and it's not spontaneous, how much money do you want to take home? Mm. You know, I mean, what you guys are doing in a way, I hope and I think has to be different and special going out with Nick because you know what's going to happen, do you? No, we don't know. But the difference with this is the songs we're playing a role, but this is fresh. This, the, the, the life hasn't been played out of these songs. They haven't been played okay. by anyone yeah. else for years yeah. and years yeah. and years. Yeah. Right. That's the point. Well, of that's it. the difference, yeah. man. You know, there's a total difference. I mean, so I've never played these songs before. It feels like a new band. There you go. But anyway, yeah. So, wait, so let's, we're digressing quite a lot here, Andrew. Well, that's what life is for. I wanted to stay on the immediate records just a little bit more as well. Well, so just, did I, because sorry, I sorry. wanted to get to The Who. And Why? Why, why? What was happening? Did you steal them from Shell Tell Me? That was because it was all. Yeah, no, I mean the Amen Corner, are you? The Amen Corner. No, no, the Who. You had them for one one record. No. Yeah, you did. What one? Which one was it? I'm sure you did. No. And there was a thing with Shell Tell Me, and then it, yeah, I'm sure. Oh no, no, there was a thing. We were trying. No, no, no. no There's no record. There was oh. going to be a deal with Alan Klein. We're going to steal them. You know, <laughs> ah, okay. Ah, well, so this might be it. But we never had a record, you know. 
okay. Well, this is really weird because this is an area of history I pride myself on usually knowing quite a lot about. So um, I'm feeling very egg well, on face while, at the moment. While he's looking for that, I just yeah. want to... <laughs> 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 removing the egg. I want to just mention the nice and Keith Emerson. That was a discovery of yours. So in a way, Andrew, let's face it, you have probably the reason Prog Rock exists, which no one gives you real good credit for. But Five Bridges, which I know came later, yeah. is seen as the first Prog Rock album, isn't it? I thought I got them from P.P. Arnold, man. You know, so they were, with Davey Ellis, they were the backing band of P.P. Arnold, right? That's well, yeah. You know, and Keith Emerson... I mean, I was kind of jumped to the end and go, man, no, nothing's worth it. Well, I don't care if your hands went. What do you want to top yourself for? You know. But you're referring, obviously, to Keith Emerson because he shot himself and didn't uh, uh, later on. Yeah. Which is yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, right. You know, I mean. So you see them as being like they were pop session players at, at one point, and that's what they were. They didn't do the, sessions. The Keith Emerson. No, they, well, they were. You said they were. They were. It was backing band. They were P.P. Arnold's backing, backing band on the road. Right. And then they wanted to go someplace, and we said yes. Then we had them on at the Albert Hall. We had a record that we did America from West Side Story. And with my friend Sean Kenny, it was a one of those um, charities. <laughs> you know, I mean, whatever, Biafra, one of those things, right? And we got Keith Emerson to set fire, light fires and set fire to his oh, fucking yeah. organ or whatever, you know, thing. And Pop music was banned from the Albert Hall. I don't know, it was like 8, 10, 15 years. The next act, pop act that appeared was Glenn Campbell, right? But but then Keith Emerson turned around and said, I didn't do that. You know, I said, wait a minute. You say I'm a fucking invisible man? I'm standing on stage lighting matches for you? You know. Uh, like, but anyway, it worked. They got known. So we're talking about the flag. This is the yeah, flag. Yeah, so, right, right. That's yeah, the flag yeah. burning. It was great. Again, it was cinema. Because I love it when it moves into, we're all in a movie. Can we keep acting? You know, and the Stones were the only huh. ones who really, naturally, without any input from me for that time, they understood and they lived that life. They were on the whole time. They were absolutely seamless. They still are. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're still on. Coffee machines, yeah. man. Coffee machines. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Like, you know, but, you know, it's amazing. They are the Rat Pack with guitars. But... The shop is doing so well, man. Uh, my son was in the London Marathon and he can't be straight. But yeah, that one, right. You know, and it's a wonderful long way from, oh, God, we haven't had to get a regular job. <laughs> you know, right? yeah. But, yeah. I mean, maybe 60 years, but with the wonder of everything. Did that take all of you by surprise, how long it would last? Because there are interviews with, with Mick and he's about to turn 30. And not only could no one believe that rock stars could be 30, they didn't think it was decent. Were you sort of thinking about this a lot, that it was going to end at some stage and we were all just no, going to man. go back into being no, old you men? Know, you know, I mean, look, it goes in increments. Oh, wow, man, we can play in Europe. You know, it's not just, you know, England, you know. And then, of course, the, the magic moment for everybody when the Beatles did the Ed Sullivan show and that just changed the world. The same way yeah. they changed the world by existing. The Beatles on Ed Sullivan is like the moon landing. Is it? Really? Is it? it? Yeah. Uh, is, no, isn't it? I mean, you know, in terms of cultural significance. We can stop crying with our parents about Kennedy and we got a life again. Right. You know, amazing. The amount of people who 
you know, started their life at eight or nine or 10 watching that program. Mm -hmm. You know, there was such a malaise in America as a result of them running the gamut from, you know, Doris Day and Rock Hudson into a president gets killed. Mm -mm. And a war. Yeah. But also the fact that then as the parents weren't on drugs, there was silence. You know, you're living with silent parents. You're living with this sort of eerie, um, you know, for kids, what's going on? And then the Beatles came on. Yeah. But also because it just want to say culturally, because the, the difference is all those English kids, they're from a generation of parents who went through the blitz. The Americans exactly. didn't have that. The war never came to them. So no. Kennedy was like their blitz. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. you're yeah. talking about what you did felt like a movie. You were trying to make a movie. No, no and, it was a movie. Well, it was a movie. And we were in it. And it was yeah. wonderful. I, yeah, I, I understand. And if, if the Stones were the protagonists and rock yes. and roll was the protagonist, yes. then the nemesis was Vietnam, right? That was there symbolically as the nemesis in your movie. In, in England, we had nothing to turn against. It wasn't like the next batch with the Sex Pistols, the Clash, whomever, who turns against us. We were going, oh, mm. man, we're going to embrace the whole journey, man. This is pretty cool. You know, they don't want to speak to us either. <laughs> I mean, so there's that. America embraced it in a um, totally different way. It was a, a come up and some for what you're exactly what you're saying for Vietnam coming up. And mm -mm. so, I mean, it was a different thing. There was an anger. There was an anger in America that we didn't have. Mm. You know, Donovan, you did some stuff with, with Donovan. Oh, yeah. I straightened up for him. Was that after? Was that after Mickey? Wow. After Mickey, yeah, yeah, I did. After Mickey, yeah, it was great. I love Donovan, but Donovan talks about himself in the third person. Has he been a guest with you? Did he? Oh yeah, no. no. But he's lovely. But he goes, I wonder if this would work for Don. You know, mm. and and I saw Alan Klein again. Donovan had finished his run with Mickey most. Mickey either didn't want to record him, or they'd fallen out, or something, or whatever. And so Alan offered me the gig. And uh, I go to London and we're, do we're doing the stuff, right? And then I'm walking down Park Lane one day and Mickey comes by on his motorbike, right? <laughs> and he um, tells me all the songs I'm recording, okay? <laughs> and it's a lovely life, you know? And um, and Don, <laughs> you know, I mean, he's a, he's a not, it's not a raconteur, you are. He's a fairy tale maker. He's a yeah. dreamer. He's a dreamer. Yeah. He's wonderful, you know. Uh, and he lives on his own island, you know. He's a fabulous hippie, right? Yeah, fabulous he's hippie. great. He's wonderful. And he, um, I mean, Wrote the great the one, and yeah, and this one is not a slight on him at all. It's a part of the of what makes him up, all the parts, so many that we don't have that makes him Donovan, right? And, okay, we're doing a song called Sailing Homeward. We can't get it. Right, it's a ballad. And uh, I go to his Live in Japan album, and as there's no applause on it, I use that for the record, right? You know, because well, well. you know, there's no applause, man. It's a good recording. And then I find out that um, a friend of mine, Lou Adler, was opening a club in Oh, Los Lou Adler, right, yeah. Was opening a club in Los Angeles, the Roxy, right? And I want to go. So I say to Don, Don, I hear Carol King on this. <laughs> okay and don says funny andrew i thought about her when i wrote it uh, right okay? right 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 you're tuned in i get on the plane to go to la 
I carol in the afternoon and then go to the opening of the club, the Roxy, in the evening. And just to look professional, I added Tom Scott on Woodwind the next day, and then I fly back, right? But he's just, when I say master of convenience, it's a compliment. He gets it, you know. What was the track with Carol? Sailing Homeward. The oh, ja- so he's playing, she's playing on the Live in Japan track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Cheeky. You know, right? So that's it. You know, dreams yeah. still come true, man, you know. Good time was had by all. <laughs> we never spoke about the orchestra. We need to talk about the ALO yes. orchestra. Oh, yeah. Because obviously there's been a few things around that. But uh, how did that begin? Was that why you were with the Stones? Oh, yeah, that began very early because, I mean, we were still learning, man. You know, and I would go in and do, like on 16 Hip, it's the first Rolling Stones album. If John Paul Jones was playing in the, the wrong key, you couldn't hear the six-string bass on the record. You know, or when you went mono to mono, one too many times on a track on that 16 hippies and the fucking track drops right out. You know what I mean? So you're on a learning curve. Also, the studio was my home. I didn't want to, I didn't really want to be anywhere else. Didn't really matter what I recorded because, you know, Decker were paying for it, you know, um, like, and those days you would record your friends. Oh yeah, come in and make a single, you know, and all that kind of thing. But So was this more about that than getting yourself thinking, I need my records out there? This was just a fun... No, no, I do think that every 90-year-old should have an orchestra, you know. But, <laughs> uh, but... It wasn't really an orchestra, though, was it? it was no, just, it wasn't, it was... man. No, the real reason was the Beatles were, you know, this is my satanic majesties. The Beatles, you know, people were by now recording orchestral albums you know, Gordon Jenkins is all their own capital records playing the Beatles. And I thought, I want to make Mick and Keith look good. So, ah. I mean, you know, um, Mantovani wasn't going to do the, the Mick and Keith songbook, you know, so I was going to do it, <laughs> sold 800 copies, right. but it, it was publicity as well. And so on. So I was having fun, you know, a great influence on that record was the 1963 record by Jack Nietzsche, The Lonely Surfer. Oh, I don't know. But... Oh, no. Oh, man. That. Trip wow. and a half, you know, because from wow. that I got Baja, which I made an awful single with John Paul Jones on Pi. But at the end, you should look it up, man. It's great. The cover's great. Yeah, he's like he's like the Manchurian Candidate. He's in a black suit and thing <laughs> in a sort of holy <laughs> location and things like that. But the last track on it is a slowed down five minute version of Dadu Run Run, and that's where I got the idea of doing the last time slowed down. Ah, ah. Hey, you know, and then of course, years later, that string arrangement yep. is the cause of all the trouble for the Verve, right? Yeah, yeah, which is funny, isn't it? Something that's not even on the record. Well, and not even a part of the original song. Yeah, but that was it. Was a bit stupid to the whole thing sample was a record and not to go to find out who the publisher was and to but should I tell you the that there is out. something slightly karmic here because the whole thing is it's about the da 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 but if you listen to the melody of that record right well yeah. it's a bit of sweet symphony called life it's well it's I, told once, I told you once and I told you twice, twice. yeah the melody is yeah, exactly yeah, the same yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've got the irony of... But that's not what they got them on. That's exactly. what's so extraordinary. They got them on <laughs> on my percussion part that David Whitaker arranged. <laughs> he was so fucking pissed off with me. I mean, I said, hey, man, I mean, I understand it, but I mean, he got paid as an arranger. I used to whistle the parts in his ear. Either he came up with it or I didn't. That was the loop. Richard Ashcroft goes into a vinyl shop. He buys that record. 
He makes a magnificent record. Then when they realize what they've done, they try to take my part out and have it replayed by someone else, and it doesn't work, right? You know, the, we're now in this sort of strange... Oh, because it's actually my old mate Youth who produced it, and they... Okay. Because I thought, yeah, because it was Will, I thought Will me, Malone man. did the strings on that. Okay, go on. He told, I mean, I, I, and there's two books on Verb, which I have, in which they say, you know, they try to pull me out, but sometimes you pull the aura out and it doesn't work. And then all of the, shall we say, brandishes of Alan Klein, Charles Copperman, you know, the people, who, the, the, they all, but it happened. Um, it shows that the drugs don't work. I mean, you know, I mean, because it's a great record. I mean, it's incredible, man. It was a, every yeah. goalpost. I mean, it, 96, 97, yeah. It was just wonderful. My lawyers made more than me. I, I want to slag a lawyer, okay? Go. Go on. Go, 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 go. <laughs> He's dead now. My lawyer knew, but it's not in their interest to tell you, that my interest in Andrew Oldham Orchestra from Decca was tied to a contract that my mother signed when I was 19. And I never, ever would get more than what that deal was. Uh, He'll say it was 2% or 3%. But the lawyers know, man, but they bring in the building and they speak English. By the time you get in the elevator on your third floor, you don't understand what anybody's talking about. You know? Yeah. You know, and, yeah. The, and the beat goes on. But I know for a long time, you know, the Stones Publishing were picking up 100% of that Verve record, but then they've kindly... They've given it back. Given it they, back, yeah. haven't they? Yeah, at the right time when it's not earning much. <laughs> <laughs> no, think about it okay guys you know now it's, it's a sandwich not a steak you can have it you can have your bit of it you know, hey. you know. I mean at the time Keith was quite nasty with them he said they shouldn't have played with the big boys <laughs> but everyone feels better now right I've no idea <laughs> yeah I mean I was I... told off by Oasis in Liverpool about oh I suppose 10 years ago Oh, that was terrible. You, you know, I said, come on, give me a break. Go back to your no, fucking cornflakes and financial times. You know. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> yeah. It's perception. It's perception. There has to be boundaries. It's perception. You know, I mean, he's made a nice living. Is I mean, it had to be the most painful experience for him because Ashcroft, because he was sacrificed. Mm -mm -mm. Simple as that. You know, you know, he got for the the winning years, he got his name on it. And a thousand dollars. Wow. Until, you know, it had turned into just another song. Mm -mm. So, I mean, maybe it's a tough business, <laughs> you know. <laughs> We've started with talking about Marianne, and, and I thought maybe we could just finish with her discovery really and what it must have been like and uh, what she was like at that time and this fabulous girl with big tits that was how you described her wasn't no, it no i did not I angel did... tits i never did somebody called philip norman put that statement in my mouth i did not ah, say okay. i would not speak about her like that it did seem a little for, yeah. for someone you with can't. your no, eloquence no, no. thank you no no yes. way man i first saw her Sitting on a radiator in Marylebone, and I wanted to be the radiator. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was a party that was thrown next to the house of how many of you remember Dickie Valentine? Yeah, of oh, course. God, yeah. yeah. With the famous Fabulous. golf swing on stage every yeah, night. Yeah, it was great, man, you know. Like, and um, living next door was a gentleman, a furniture maker called Sid Poster. He had a daughter who's still a wonderful working actress called Adrian Poster. Oh, and we. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And we did a um, a Mick and Keith song called Shangadu Lang, which is note for note, he's sure the boy I love, because they were in that period, you know, <laughs> the crystals. And we recorded it, and there was a party for her. And so people like Peter Asher, I mean, everybody, you know, Friday night, man, were there. And uh, Marianne was there. And I knew... Groovy Bob probably was there. Bob? Groovy Bob Fraser. No, no, no. This, that wouldn't be his style. Too early. Ah. ah. 64, April 64. John Dunbar. The, yeah, yeah, John Dunbar. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And um, she's sitting down the radiator, man. And uh, hmm. I knew when she spoke that she would be perfect because of seeing Grace Kelly sit in Bing Crosby's lap in high society and sing the bridge or whatever it is to true love. Okay. For you and I have a guardian angel up with nothing to do. Mm -hmm. ah. And um, that spoken voice. And so the session was magic. Okay. Lionel Bart put up the money because we just didn't have money. Ah, you know? right, right. right. And an awful fucking song. And you know, this is the worst thing. Do you ever have this happen to you when you say to somebody, an awful fucking song, and you remember it all, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and the song was like, I don't know how to tell you the... And it was awful. And the musicians were dying. And then we said, no, man, we're not going to... You know, I think it might have turned up on one of the albums. As Tears Go By was going to be the B-side. And the musicians played it, man. You can hear the breath. They're so relieved to be off this other piece of shit, which was sort of like an English version of West Side Story, right? Mm -hmm. Couldn't win. And then they just smoothed in, so it got this aura. Oh, okay, thank God that crap's over. Let's Now we're playing something. They almost sounded like fucking country musicians, right? Jimmy Page, wow. this, and, Sam, yeah. and, and Big Jim taking care of Jimmy. And it was beautiful, man. And Tony Corder and I sat there and went, number eight, right? You know, <laughs> right? And... um and see, in many ways, in the cinema, I only did, that's the only record I did with her. Tony Calder did the next two hits and then Mike Leander did the one after. She had four top 10 hits in 10 months. She was up mm. there with the guys, you know? Yeah. And she had to go on the road with the, with the Hollies. I mean, please, you know, I mean, no, I mean, in terms of what the Hollies, they're great and they're wonderful. And only their harmonies have taken away from people really realizing what a great band they are. Wow, Graham Nash. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the harmony stand up front, but man, that fucking, excuse me, that bottom man, you know, that Bobby Elliott and the first one, Eric, um, you know, and Tony Hicks, man, one of the champions. Oh, uh, yeah. Was Alan Clark. Yeah. Yeah. Was, uh, was oh, so actually, oh, a little tiny little sidebar, because this is such an Andrew Lou Goldham thing, which is the song As Tears Go By yeah. was called As Years Go By. And you went, no, man, there's a Buddy Holly song called that. No, and no, you, no. You no, gave no, it the name it's As true. Tears Go By. No, it's from um, Casablanca, I think. As time oh, goes okay. by. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. And there, that's there right. were five verses, and we edited it down. And um, the words a third, Jerry Wexler. <laughs> but um, <Yeah. laughs> it's all school, isn't it? We still have the privilege of being in school, you know. And Marianne, in many ways, I kind of wish I hadn't made that and all the other records because I only really had continuity with the stunts, Humble Pie. Mm-mm-mm. The small faces at a sort of third man vision away. Executive producer. Yeah, exactly. And the rest of it, you know. <laughs> Thank you, Decker. Al McCogan, I recorded too. Oh, you did in the end? Al McCogan always comes up with you. 
Always. It's this, there's such a deep Alma Coburn thing with you. There right? is. Isn't there, Andrew? Because, yeah. because she was nice to us. <laughs> well, that's very nice to know. You've written three books. It's, um, are there more books coming? Four. Four. Four? Well, Four, yeah. But, you know, in the end, I decided to self-publish and take the $2 instead of 10 cents and the glory. <laughs> you know, I mean, who needs it, right? But, no, I'm now looking at flatlining the data in the books. So I did an interview with this guy from Bill Bale, and I just felt like giving it to the small faces, so I did. And I thought, you know, this is actually the truth. I didn't finish the Ian McLagan thing. May I finish that? In Austin, oh, yeah, towards the end... And we, we're both flogging books. Shameful. And uh, he comes up to me and he says, I think that, you know, we should bury the hatchet. You know, I said, OK. <laughs> yeah, right. I like Jimmy Winston. You know, but anyway, like... Um, My mum went out with Jimmy Winston. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. See, I always wondered with that, you know, he was the original member. How bad was he? <laughs> he gave me a scale electric car when I was little. Just the car. Good. Just the car. Okay. But anyway, so he, his wife, unfortunately, had recently been killed in a car crash. Ian McClayton, that's right, right? yeah. That's, that, that was awful, yeah. yeah. And by the way, one of the greatest combinations I've seen on stage was in the 80s on, with the Stones when the keyboard section was McClagan and Ian Stewart. That was just... Oh, yeah. That yeah, was yeah, yeah, just... Yeah. That yeah, was... Yeah, whoa. Yeah, yeah. That was really good. Let's spend the night together, period. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. they were... You know, I mean, Stewart, it was just... It was wonderful, you know? Ferranti and Teicher, you know? But... Uh, no. You can get that on film, that tour. It's a, it's a great show. But anyway, so he does, you know, his wife was recently passed, unfortunately, in a tragic car crash. So we embrace, we make up, and he says, in the embrace, he breaks away and he says, well, well I can't remember the wife's name, Pam. Let's say it was Pam. He says, Was uh, it Kim? It was Kim, Kim wasn't thank- it? Mooney's ex, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he says, I did that for Kim. I thought, fuck you. Mm. <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway, you can't go back. But, you know, I don't know why I went into that one because I wanted to. But there you go, carry on. Oh, you know the book you asked me. I'm doing You're it. You're doing another yes. book. No, you said flatlining the data. Yeah. What does that mean? That's a film, isn't it? What it means is some of the things I've told you today written up are different from what was written up before. Right. Um but don't you find this that as you go through life, Andrew, that how you feel about events in the past you tell this story at this point in your totally. life. You tell this story at this point in your life, and tell, and all of them are true. All of them are totally. true to who you are at that person. No, I love the version I have now, so I've, mm. I may put it down. We'll see. Right, right. Thank you very Thanks much, so much guys. for coming on again. Yeah, love Thank it. you. Best to me. Go back to Italy. Enjoy it. New songs. Good life. Take care. Thank Catch you very up with much. You again, I hope. Ciao. Yeah. He's a force, isn't he? I mean, sometimes with Andrew, you just don't—you're not sure if you should be replying yes I know, to yeah, some I know. of the things you're, you're, you're he says kind of... in case you're in legal trouble. Maybe we need a lawyer <laughs> in on this on the call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if the one thing he is is uh, is confident with his honesty. Exactly. I want to know what that thing with the who and the media. I have an absolute. Rock no, solid thing in my a, head that there was. Mate, this is a disaster. It is a disaster for me. I don't know if I'm coming back for this guy. I think well, you might have to I find another rock on tour, mate. There's going to be a knock on the door any minute, and it's going to be a young man wearing a three button suit, and he's going to come in <laughs> and sort you out. <laughs> a mod haircut. <laughs> Actually, not so young man. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Okay, so yeah, we have extras. We have extras. You go to rockonturs.com or slash extras, or you see, I I don't know. I've never been there. Have you been there, Gary? What does it look like? Is it nice up there? Is it what? What's the view? Because I speak them, and so I don't need to hear them back. Really, (laughs) uh, no. But they are all there. And uh, and thank you to Ian today for producing yes um, this episode. We are on tour, but we are back next week. Yes. For I think uh, for a final one before a break. Right? That's right. Yeah, and then we are going to have a break for the summer. We yeah. also think you all deserve a break because surely you know you need to have a few weeks off. Uh, it's quite because you, there's just so much to take in for every yeah. Sunday. You know, there is, there is, there is, um, and also uh, most of our, the people we want to talk to are sitting by swimming pools with. Um, you know, a Negroni, te- tequilas and Negronis, yeah. yeah. So, um, or non-alcoholic beers, a lot. Of them. Anyway, yes, we will see you next we week. We will. Good night from me. Good night from them. Good night from me, again. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting it all wrong this week, aren't I? <laughs> oh, there's a knock on the door. <laughs> Rock on Tours is produced by Gimme Sugar Productions for Warner Music Group UK.